0: We mentioned the different views about Revelation, the preterist view, which says that everything uh, has taken place except uh, the actual second coming of Christ. uh, And so they would say uh, that everything up to about uh, chapter 20 has already taken place, or even maybe chapter chapter 1. Uh, chapter 21 has already taken place that's the preterist view and we mentioned uh, Jay Adams as one who held that view and, uh, the futurist view and we'll take a look briefly at that tonight the idealist view <coughs> uh, uh, the historicist view which is uh, when a star falls that's talking about some event in history like Hitler or something like that so we're, we're trying to give you sort of different uh, books that represent different views there you notice when you get over to chapter 20, you're dealing with the view of the Millennium in particular, the binding of Satan, the peace, the reign of peace, and so on. And uh, that, uh, you have uh, a book that gives all four different views. Notice under General Eschatology, it talks about Robert Klaus, the meaning of the Millennium, four views. And that would give you your pre-mill, I-mill, dispensational pre-mill, and post-mill view. And again, we'll touch on those when we get to the 20th chapter, but he gives you all four views with different writers representing the different views, each picturing and arguing for his views, and the other three writers critiquing the view that's being expressed by each writer. So, uh, the meaning of the millennium there, uh, the, of course the book that we're following as a textbook here in a seminary class and that I'm basically following in my teaching is More Than Conquerors by William Hendrickson's out in the paperback. This is the hardback here. And uh, we have given, in the seminary course, assigned readings that go along with uh, the chapters that we're covering. And he just parallels it in here. Uh, but this will give you, if you want to read up on any given view or get a feel, it's interesting. Notice down at the bottom it talks about R.C. Sproul. The last days according to Jesus, amazingly, he's a preterist. He believes that most of the revelations are taking place in the first three centuries. And, uh, then he's a post-mill. I was amazed. This is a book he just come out with. Apparently he's amazed at himself. He, uh, he kind of was surprised where he wound up there. Uh, and, but, uh, uh now, uh, let me review briefly with you uh, what we, talked about last week, and that is just the approach you take. Uh, we're taking of the parallelism, namely that uh, instead of the book being laid out in linear form so that each thing recorded as you get on down the line is taking place after the previous thing recorded, uh, we're taking the, the view of a progressive parallelism. In other words, we'd say in the first three chapters where it talks about the seven letters to the seven churches... These represent the whole church throughout the whole period of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Tonight we're going to look at chapters four through seven, and we'd say that's dealing with the same period of time, but from a different perspective. Uh, the, the church is holding out the light. Uh, these seven letters, are seven pronged candlestick or the seven lamps that Christ is seen walking among the lampstands. Uh, Okay, that's that whole church throughout that whole period of time. Those were seven real churches in that day, but they represented the whole church, and the conditions in those churches pictured the conditions that were going to exist in the whole church throughout the whole period of time. Well, then when you get to chapters 4 through 7, you're looking at that same period of time, but from a different perspective. Uh, you've got, while the church is holding out the light, the world is persecuting the church. And then when we move to uh, the next section, we're going to find, well, what's God doing? To the world as it persecutes the church. And he's dealing with the world in various judgments during this period of time. And so we keep covering the same period of time but from different perspectives. That's this parallelism until we get, uh, to chapters 21 and 22 where at that point <clears throat> you are moving beyond the second coming of Christ and uh, new heavens, new earth and, and that type thing. And so that's the, that's the, the view that we're taking. Now we'll, We'll see, we argued for that view, and we'll see it as we go along. Even today, we'll see uh, one reason that we argue that that's the way we should approach the book. But let's turn in our Bibles, if you would now, uh, to the uh, fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle John that you revealed this to and through. Uh, we thank you for... Uh, the message uh, that we will look at tonight, Father, and, uh, the throne of God and uh, your sovereignty and, uh, how that applies. And we pray that you would really help us to apply it to our lives, Lord, uh, not just, uh, curiosity here, uh, but, uh, practical daily living in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> You notice in your outline, we've given you this diagram that pictures the throne of God there. That's what's being uh, pictured here in these chapters (coughs) uh, that we're looking at tonight. Uh, John is caught up to heaven, as we'll see, and he sees this throne. And he sees everything arranged around the throne of God. You've got the Father, and uh, then you've got uh, all this bright colors around there, the diamonds and the sardis and the emerald rainbow and uh, then the four living creatures or cherubim and uh, then the twenty-four thrones of elders or uh, the fifth uh, number five circle there and then the many angels and all creatures of the entire universe so here's a scene that we're getting as we look at this and uh, if you look at the next page there on the outline uh, where we pick up with the uh, book of seven seals we're dealing with in Revelation 47, but here particularly the first thing in chapter 4, this throne of God. Now, uh, chapter 4 and uh, verses 1 and 2, John says, uh, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had heard, first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there was before me a throne in heaven with something sitting on it. Now, let me stop for a moment and point out that in your most popular view, your Schofield Bible, uh, dispensational view that you'd find uh, taught at most Bible colleges around the country, that you're most of your popular books that are out, Tim LaHaye, whatever, uh, they would be taking the view that everything recorded from this point on is going to happen and until chapter 19, where they would say you get the return of Christ. Everything is going to happen uh, from chapter 4 to chapter 19 after the rapture of the church, when Christ returns and Christians are caught up to meet him. And they would say when John is caught up here he said, I saw this door in heaven, and a voice said, come up here, and then he's up there in heaven, and he sees this scene. They'd say, that's the rapture of the church. Let me read you just, for example, a, a typical uh, commentary that deals with that view. I didn't list this one, but this is Oliver Green, and uh, here's what he says in his book on Revelation. He said, uh, <clears throat> Up to this point, John is seen here on earth. The events recorded in chapters 2 and 3 took place right here on earth. And see, from his standpoint, chapters 2 and 3, which dealt with the seven churches, were seven periods of church history moving up to the second coming. And so that last church there, uh, Christ comes back at the end of that last letter, so to speak. And uh, so you move to the second coming of Christ. And everything from this point on is during the tribulation period, after the rapture, from that, from their standpoint, the church doesn't go through the tribulation. From my standpoint, the church does go through the tribulation. You say, I don't like that view. I don't want to go through tribulation. Well, I appreciate that. but <laughs> Okay. So uh, he says, uh, the command of the voice now has come up here. Therefore, John, John leaves the earth and is caught up into heaven to witness and record the vision. And so on. He says, uh, the... Uh, <clears throat> In our present scripture, the history of the church on earth has been written. The overcomers have been translated to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, the mo- removal of the true church sets the stage for the devil to take over. This he will do, as we see in chapter 6 and so on. And uh, so he's, he's saying when he says, after this, John says, after this, he says, after this means after the church has run its course and all things concerning the church have been fulfilled. I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And so, he's saying that when the rapture occurs, the trumpet will sound, the voice of the archangel will call the saints up. And uh, Jesus will not come to this earth when he comes in the rapture. In this view, you put a, you have a two-stage second coming of Christ. You have him coming uh, in the air and Christians are caught up in the air, but he didn't come all the way to the earth. And then seven years later, at the end of the tribulation period, he comes all the way to the earth bringing the Christians back with him and sets up this thousand year reign on earth that's that's that view and uh, but I don't think that's it he doesn't say for the church to come up he says for John to come up John goes up John's not the church <coughs> and uh, John he's going to show John this scene of the throne in heaven and then he's going to reveal some other things so let's look at uh, what we have here <coughs> he uh, sees this throne he hears this voice as a trumpet and uh, and he sees the throne and its surroundings. And uh, verse two, verse three, there he says uh, uh, that uh, as the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and uh, carnelian, uh, rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne, surrounding the throne with twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads from the throne came flashes of lightning rumbles and peals of thunder before the throne seven lamps were blazing these are the seven spirits of god also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal uh... the throne here you got the father on the throne in effect and uh... the jasper a sign of purity or holiness Uh, the sardis uh, uh, blood red likely a sign of judgment uh, the emerald rainbow, what's that a sign of? What's the rainbow a sign of? Covenant. He's a, a God who enters into covenant with His people, a rainbow around the throne. Don't ever forget that rainbow around the throne. And uh, going back to the covenant uh, that God made with Noah, that it would never rain on the earth like it did then, wouldn't totally flood all the earth. Uh, the, then you get uh, lightnings and voices and so on, uh, the majesty and power of God there Uh, then uh, you uh, it says uh, you have the spirit of God there the the seven spirits just speaks of the spirit in all of his uh, fullness of activity and power Uh, you uh, also when we get, if you look at chapter 5 and verse 5, it says, uh, that, uh, then the, one of the elders said to me, do you not, we see the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of Israel has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. So the son is there also at the right hand of God, as we'll see as we go along here. Uh, you have, uh, <clears throat> the 24 elders. Uh, the 24 elders would represent the entire people of God, the entire church, in a sense. Old Testament church New Testament church. You've got the 12 tribes of Israel, so 12 of those 24 represent the Old Testament people of God, 12 of them the church since Christ's first coming there. Uh, All 24 representing the entire people of God, true believers uh, there around the throne. And uh, they have crowns which speaks of the honor and glory given to them. They have white garments, the righteousness uh, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and then you have four living creatures in and, and verse 6 there uh, also before the throne uh, uh, there was a sea of glass and uh, in the center around the throne were four living creatures a sea of glass or crystal sea we sang about the crystal sea when we sang holy, holy, holy uh, that's probably a reference back to the uh, in your temple or in your tabernacle you had a laver there or uh, a sea where the priests would bathe and so on The idea of cleansing from sin, uh, apparently, (coughs) and uh, uh, the living creatures here are cherubim, a special kind of angel, and there are four of them, and they would uh, have, uh, they'd be ready to serve him at all different locations there, four different locations, Uh, and notice in verse seven, the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth like a flying eagle. A uh, lion speaks of power. Ox speaks of service. Uh, man speaks of intelligence. Eagle speaks of rapidity and swiftness, and so on. And here's uh, these creatures are waiting to serve God, and and so on. <clears throat> and uh, God, the holy things of God. Now, <clears throat> uh, the and then you have the angels. In uh, verse 11, it says, uh, uh, "You are worthy." Well, let's back to verse nine. Excuse me, verse. Uh, Eight. The four living creatures had six wings, they covered the eyes, so on, day and night. They never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, and one who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne, and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being uh... so here's uh... there's there all the creatures of the universe falling down and worshiping him and uh... this song of his holiness and the song of creation there Uh, the songs of praise now in chapter five you have the lamb of god we've seen the throne of god now you get the lamb of god A searching question is asked in the first four verses of chapter 5. When I saw in the right hand, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, this would be the Father, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept, says John, and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now, this scroll would represent God's decree or God's plan for the world and for redemption. And no one, no human being alone, uh, only a human being was able to do this. No angel could do this. No one's found worthy to carry out the plan of God for the redemption of man here. Here's this scroll with writings on both sides. God's plan. And uh, if the book is not opened, why, uh, there will be no uh, salvation, uh, no new heaven and earth, no future inheritance, no uh, protection for God's children in the hour of bitter trial and so on. But there's a wonderful answer to this question. Who is worthy? In verse 5, it says uh, that uh, one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And uh, then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures. He's there by the Father. And uh, he's there right in the middle of this, encircled by the four living creatures. And uh, the elders, the 24 elders, he had seven horns, and seven eyes. Here's this lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. And uh, it says, uh, He came, well, excuse me, uh, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Again, here's the lamb anointed with and empowered by horns of power, empowered by the Holy Spirit in all of his operations. Remember when Jesus uh, starts his public ministry, why, the Spirit of God comes upon him in the form of a dove to equip his human nature. Uh, he was true God, but he was true man. And as man, he needed the Spirit of God to equip him to carry out his mission. And uh, so here he is anointed with the Spirit in all of his fullness. Uh, and uh, uh, you have uh, uh, this wonderful answer. Here's, uh, there's one who has overcome. Uh, he is able. He has triumph. It says, "See the line. He has triumph. He is able to open the scroll in seven seals." I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Uh, it's through his death uh, that he is victorious, uh, and he is able to open the scroll for us. Uh, and uh, he's he's crowned in a sense as we read this, and uh, he reigns. Now, in uh, verse 8, there it says, well, verse 7, it says, He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the Christians, of the saints. And they sang a new song. And They have these instruments, they praise God and Here's their first doxology. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be priests and kingdom, a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. So here's uh, uh, this praise to him for what he's accomplished by his death. And uh, he's worthy and the reason he's worthy. The second uh, doxology says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and a loud, in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Here's the third doxology of worship by every creature and uh, the ascription to God and the Lamb. Now, uh, what's the message of chapter 4 and chapter 5 as you think about it? Well, the Lamb of God reigns here's this throne in heaven the Lamb of God reigns let the trials come his people can handle it because he reigns And he opens the seals and when he opens these seals some very painful things are going to happen but he opens the seals he is in control nothing can touch us remember Jesus said to the disciples he said I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves do not be afraid and the hairs of your head are all numbered not a sparrow falls without your heavenly father i'm controlling everything that touches you yes uh your world will hate you you'll be hated by all men for my sake but that's all right uh, i'm in control so that's uh that's the setting for what's now coming now let's turn uh, to chapter 6 <clears throat> Uh, where in chapter six and seven we get the seven seals as he opens one seal on this scroll after another, one part of the plan after another part of the plan. Uh, uh, these, these first four seals, the truths of them are symbolized by four horses. You hear of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Remember when Notre Dame had four great backfield and they were called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, uh, it's, done, it's not Notre Dame, but it's, uh, <coughs> uh, here we go here. Now, uh, <clears throat> he opens the first seal and out comes a horse. In chapter six and verse one, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals and then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked, and he's not talking to John to come. He's talking about the horse to come here, the rider. And uh, I looked, and there, be- there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. And he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. Who's this? This is Jesus. Jesus is on a white horse, and he's a conqueror. He rides out. He's in control of everything. Okay, he's the first one. Uh, <clears throat> Now as you remember, the theme of revelation is the victory of Christ and uh, his people over Satan and uh, his agents. That's the, that's, the, that's the theme of the whole book. Now <clears throat> the second seal is opened. and uh, it says, uh, well, in, it says in verse three, "When the lamb opened the second seal, uh, I heard the second living creature say, "Come." Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Now this is a picture of the persecution of believers. Uh, after Christ has appeared to conquer in a sense, uh, he, uh, the first thing is he allows to happen here. <clears throat> he allows the world to persecute his church. Uh, hold your place here and turn to Matthew chapter 24, if you would. Matthew chapter 24, and uh, verse six. And uh, Jesus is. This is what <clears throat> is uh, uh, Jesus is teaching about the uh second coming of Christ, and he's. this is Mount Olivet. He's teaching on the Mount of Olives here. And uh, in verse 6 of chapter 24, he says, "...you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you, you believers, will be handled handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. And many who claim to be Christians, when it gets tough, will bail out. Many will turn away from the faith. True Christians will not. But here, those who profess to be, many will. Uh, There will be, uh, he says, uh, you'll be hated by all At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. So here's this persecution of true believers that took place in that day, has been taking place ever since. We in this country have amazingly not experienced very much of that. Uh, But... uh, Across the world today, more people are being persecuted for their faith than any other time in history. Uh, in China and, uh, Sudan and, uh, a number of places in the East, and so on. Uh, now, uh, the, uh, in, so here's this fiery red horse that rode and is still riding. Now the third seal is the rider on a black horse in chapter 6 of Revelation. Let's look back at Revelation, verse 5. When the lamb opened uh, the uh, third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a day's wages. And three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil in the wine. Now when you talk about weighing things out and so much for a whole day's wage, you're, you're talking about tough times financially. But these tough times financially don't apply to everybody. It doesn't affect the oil here, it says in the wine. You've got a whole section of society that's, they're doing great. Uh, and uh, so, what we've got here is economic hardship as a part of oppression. You think of situations where a believer can't get any kind of job and this type of thing. He's relegated to the lowest of jobs because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And that's true again in many, many places around the country, around the world. And, uh, uh, but, uh, it doesn't affect everybody here. The, those, uh, many others are able to buy whatever they want. Uh, <clears throat> the fourth seal the rider on a pale horse, in uh, verse 8 there, it says, or well, verse 7, When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. What would that be? Death. Notice it says, Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beast of the earth." Now, this is not persecution of believers per se. This is everyone in the world experiences death. And after death, everyone in the world experiences Hades. Hades is used different ways in scripture. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word sheol. Sometimes it means hell. Sometimes it means the grave. Sometimes it means the state of separation of the soul from the body. In this context, it's talking about right after death, everyone enters the state of their soul being separated from the body. Everyone in that sense is in Hades. And so this is uh, what's being pictured here. Now, uh, hold your place here and uh, look at Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 12. So much of your New Testament is... uh, alludes back to the Old Testament or uses Old Testament imagery in one way or another. Hebrews chapter 14 and verse 12. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, if a country sins against me by being unfaithful and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it and kill its men and their animals, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save only themselves by their... Righteousness declares the sovereign Lord. Or if I send wild beasts throughout the country and they leave it childless and becomes desolate so that no one can pass through it because of the beast. As I surely live declares the sovereign Lord, even if these three men were in it, they could not save, they could save, they could not save their own sons or daughters. They would alone be saved and the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword against that country and say, let the sword pass through the land and I kill its men and the animals, as surely as I live declares the sovereign Lord, even if these three men went, it, they could not save their own sons or daughters. They alone would be saved. Or well, if I send a plague, uh, and so on. And uh, So, here's the type thing that we're dealing with here. God sending these things, in a sense, or allowing them to take place. Uh, God's not the author of evil. Uh, when His people are persecuted, uh, God is not causing that, but God is allowing that. He's in charge. He, he can stop it at any point. When Hitler was... Uh, on his rampage, God could have blown him away any second, uh, but he didn't. Uh, God was letting uh, say, uh, Satan through uh, Hitler carry out certain things. And uh, so, <clears throat> that's that's the type thing that you've got pictured here. Now, <clears throat> uh, remember, the throne, the conquering white horse Christ on it, going out first. Now, <clears throat> uh you get to the fifth seal and here we have an altar in chapter 6 of Revelation verse 9 it says uh, that uh, when he opened the fifth seal I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God uh, and uh, the testimony they had maintained. Now this altar that's, that could be a reference to the altar that's a part of the tabernacle like we talked about the crystal sea Was probably a reference to that uh, lever there as part of the tabernacle or the temple. And the same here with the altar. And under the altar here are the uh, the souls, uh, those who've been slain for the cause of Christ, it says. And uh, they cry out. uh, And here's their prayer. It says, uh, verse 10, they called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed now uh, that prayer how long before you avenge our blood hmm is that a proper prayer well these souls are in heaven uh, Matthew Henry when you have a question about something what do you do you go to Calvin you go to Matthew Henry Matthew Henry says this, he says, observe, even the spirits of great men made perfect, of, excuse me, of just men made perfect, in other words, every true believer in heaven would be a just person made perfect, you are just persons if you're a Christian, but you are not made perfect, okay, uh, so he says, even the spirits of just men made perfect retain a proper." resentment of the wrong they have sustained by their cruel enemies and though they die in charity praying as Christ did that God would forgive uh, them their enemies yet they are desirous that for the honor of God and Christ the gospel and uh, for the honor of God and Christ and the gospel and for the conviction of others God will take a just revenge upon the sin of persecutors. Uh, Even while he pardons and saves the persecutors. Uh, When Christ said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Was he praying that may these people be pardoned whether or not they repent? No. Uh, He was not calling on the Father to forgive these people whether or not they repented. He was praying to give them time for repentance. Don't just immediately wiped them out and God gave them 40 more years to the nation of Israel and uh, then at that point judgment delayed fell and uh, in a sense uh, that's what they're saying uh, Lord uh, if they don't repent then there should be our blood avenged and uh, <clears throat> they commit their cause to him to whom vengeance belongs God says don't avenge yourself vengeance is mine I will repay and uh, he says, there will be joy in heaven at the destruction of the implacable images, uh, enemies of Christ and Christianity, as well as joy over the conversion of people who come to Christ. And we'll see that as we go through the book, where there's joy when Babylon the Great falls and things like that. Now, uh, so there's their prayer, and the answer in uh, verse 11 of chapter 6 it says, Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the a number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been were completed. And then you get the sixth seal. Now, watch, watch carefully here. Verse 12, I watched as he opened the sixth seal. Christ opens the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, The whole moon turned blood red. The stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island were removed from its place. What's that? That's the destruction of heaven and earth. That's the second coming of Christ. And see... One of the arguments for taking this parallel view that we've taken is that as you go through the book of Revelation, you keep hitting the second coming of Christ. We're hitting it here in the second chapter. We're going to hit it again as we go a little further along. Then we're going to hit it again. We hit it in chapter 19 when he comes riding back on this white horse and the armies of heaven with him. But we hit it long before chapter 19. So it's not that you've got this linear approach where the things taking place in chapter 7 happened after chapter 6 and chapter 8 after chapter 7 and so on you've got a parallelism where we keep moving up to the second coming here's here's a time when we moved up to the second coming here uh, now the kings of the earth, in verse uh, 15 the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals, the rich, the mighty every slave, every free man hid in caves uh, among the rocks of the mountains, they called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath is come and who can stand now before that happens though look what happens in chapter 7 here uh, in verse 1 of chapter 7 uh, <clears throat> we had notice every class of men was involved incidentally let me, let me we talk about liberalism this morning I referred to where we don't water the gospel down uh, Paul said I preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block under the Greeks foolishness but uh, under those who call Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God William Barclay and any, any minister any minister you go to he'll have William Barclay's commentaries and he has some helpful things from a historical standpoint of uh, what was happening in John's day or Paul's day or about Paul's missionary journeys. but he is not helpful when it comes to doctrine and here's his comment on this passage in his book on Revelation here's what he says he says uh, about the wrath of the Lamb he says uh, there is laid down here the great fact that the wrath of God is the wrath of love which even in anger is out to save to amend to redeem the one it loves is that how you read this? That those who are concerned, they really, this is really God's love for them and it's going to save them? No. That's what's called universalism. That God's going to save everybody whether or not they repent. Well, where does he get that? Not out of scripture. He gets that out of his desire to remove the offensive element here of the wrath of God. That's typical of liberalism. Now, <clears throat> uh, chapter 7, uh, man, look what happens before this terrible day of the Lord in uh, uh, verse 1 after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree and uh, here's this holding back of these winds of woe and and uh, <coughs> On the, in their mission on destruction, coming from every direction, four winds. Uh, and the trumpets are ready to blow and so on. But notice why it's necessary to delay here. He says, uh, Then I saw another angel coming up from the east having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until... We have we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Uh, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now, this sealing, these winds of woe, these are painful things that are going to happen. And we've seen these horses come riding out and so on, uh, famine and persecution and so on. And uh, then you lead up to the second coming in this day of wrath. Well, (coughs) These things are not going to hurt this 144,000. Uh, they'll be, they may be hurt physically, but they're not really going to hurt them. They're going to be sealed, and so so lest they be hurt, they're to be sealed. Uh, and uh, uh, the seal protects from tampering. A seal marks ownership. Now, who are these 144,000? It says uh, it list all the different tribes verse 5 from the tribe of Judah 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben 12,000 and so on. uh well uh these are the entire people of God who are going to be saved throughout this whole period of time uh that's who that's who they are the whole period of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming that's the 144,000 here uh and uh They would represent Jew, Jewish believer who becomes a Christian, and Gentile who becomes a Christian. Uh, Notice uh, what's said about them in in, uh, verse 9. After this I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice. Uh, these that's the same group there's people which no man can number from every tongue and tribe and nation and the 144,000 that's the same group one is symbolizing the group and the other in a sense is the real group you say well why symbolize this people that no man can number from every tongue and tribe and nation by 144,000 well as we said the uh, numbers are symbolic in the book here as they are really in a lot of ways throughout the Bible uh, uh, three times four equals twelve. Three, the Trinity. Four, the four corners of the earth. The Trinity, working throughout the four corners of the earth, brings these people to Himself. Uh, and, uh, let's say, let's, as I said from, this represents people from, uh, both, from the New Testament. Let's say this represents people from the whole of both people, the whole people of God from every tongue and tribe and nation, including Israel. So we're dealing here with the true Israel, uh, including Old and New Testament, represented by those 24 elders. Uh, Here's all the people there, 12 times 12, 144 times 10, times 10, times 10. You look at uh, the holy city, New Jerusalem, it's got 12 gates. Uh, it's got 12 foundations each gate is named for a tribe the foundations of the apostles there the wall is 144 cubits in height uh, in chapter 21 verse 17 that's the entire church the, the, Holy, the New Jerusalem is the true church which is the bride of Christ which is the people of God Old and New Testament in all the saved uh, and so 144,000 here symbolizes spiritual Israel Now, notice uh, we see how they're clothed in righteousness there, white robes. They hold palm branches in their hands as they wave them, and they cry out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they all fell down on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know, says John. And he said, These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now you say, Well, this is just a narrow group of people who went through this tribulation. Well, no. This is all true believers who do, all true believers go through tribulation. Some go through much worse tribulation than others go through, but all true believers, uh, the world, if the world hates you, it hated me before it hated you, and so on, says Christ. And so this represents all the people of God who walked upstream, uh, who stood for Christ when it wasn't easy to stand for Christ, and uh, so on. Now, uh, so they've come out of tribulation, and... uh, It says, uh, Therefore, uh, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat on them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Uh, Man, uh, notice what they've come out of why they're in heaven there because uh, they've washed their robes and made them white, the blood of the Lamb, and uh, how they praise God with the angels there. Uh, And what they will experience there, God's blessing, He wipes away every tear. And uh, there will be uh, no more pain or anything. He'll be their shepherd. Well, for the Christian, our obligation, of course, uh, is... uh, in their situation, we see our own situation. That's, that's every true believer. Every true believer has washed his robe. Every true believer is going to experience some kind of persecution. But nothing can touch you that didn't come through him. He is on the throne. He opens the seals. Uh, he is in charge. Our duty, of course, is to uh, stand for him in his power, not our own strength. Proclaim his word, not dilute it, not watered down be faithful unto death. And uh, and they came through. Great tribulation, we will come through. He will keep us as uh, we uh, walk with Him and uh, as we trust in Him. He will keep us. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, the non-Christian needs to uh, wash his robe and make it white in the blood of the Lamb. So once again, we've covered this period of time We've seen how the world reacts to the church it it hold out the lights, it persecutes, but before that you got this throne and the people of God are sealed and so this persecution is really going to just be worked for their good. It's going to be used by God to produce holiness and sanctification and to refine the ore there. Uh, they won't be truly hurt because they're sealed uh, by the Spirit of God. Now let me stop there and uh, see what questions you might have. About anything we said up to this point. Yes, sir. Okay, I don't believe that they are different times. I believe the second coming of Christ and the rapture. The question was show me a verse that shows where the rapture and the second coming are two different entities, not, in other words, where two stages to the second coming. I don't believe there is such. But, uh, and uh, where that view comes from is. primarily it comes from the ninth chapter of Daniel and uh, where uh, you get the 70 weeks of Daniel as they're called and uh, where uh, during the 70th week Messiah is cut off but not for himself and the prince shall come and so on and uh, they take that seventh week and they move it forward 2000 years and they they say okay this this is the antichrist this prince who will come is the antichrist and it's during this last seven year period here that uh, between the rapture and the revelation of Christ this second stage of his coming that this tribulation takes place well I'd say no the 90th the, and prophecy about the 70 weeks that 70th week was fulfilled in the first coming of Christ that was the seven year period weeks of years seven year period uh, during which he, was, he died and so on and uh, that the prince who had come was uh, Vespasian, the uh Titus, uh, the son of Vespasian, the emperor of Rome. And Titus came, and he destroyed Jerusalem. And, and not the, it's not talking about the Antichrist at all. And that was fulfilled. Back, you don't separate the 70th week from the 69th week. So uh, there's no basis for any concept of a Seven year tribulation there is the basis for the idea that before Christ comes back, there will be an intense persecution of god 's people, uh, even more intense than normal, uh, but <clears throat> there is not uh, nothing that says it'll be seven years, and there 's nothing to separate the two comings. If you look at chapter four of first Thessalonians, turn to chapter four of first Thessalonians, <clears throat> where you get the rapture described. <clears throat> when Christians are caught up to meet the Lord in the air and uh, right at the same time you get him wiping out non-Christians and uh, uh, the sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they will not escape it says this is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 where it says uh, that uh, the Lord will himself will come down from heaven with a loud command the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we which are alive and remain or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. The word caught up, when this was translated from Greek into Latin, the Latin word was raptura. And that's where the term rapture came from. So this being caught up is referring to that. And it says, "And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers about times and dates you do not need we do not read and write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night it's talking about that day uh, Well, while people are saying peace and safety destruction will come on them suddenly as labor paint you uh, a pregnant woman and they will not escape who's they they are the non-christians the same day overtakes both Christian and non-christian but uh, the Christian is prepared the non-christian is not prepared they will not escape no seven-year interval in between. You, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like at the same day, not any seven-year interval in between. So, uh, that would be my answer to your question. Other question?
1: Of verse 14 of what?
0: Of Revelation. Okay. Well, apparently it's referring to the whole history from Adam's fall on uh, all true believers because this this group here 144,000 symbolizes the whole people of God in every period of time so Abraham would be part of that group and and so on uh, those true believers who are left yes right so they're not going to be left long because they're going to be caught up to meet him and the world's going to blow up okay <laughs> I had a reading list uh, I'm not giving I'm not saying all those are good books <laughs> okay <laughs> alright yeah yeah okay so yeah right well, I didn't put Calvin and Matthew Henry on there Calvin wrote a book on every book in the Bible except the book of Revelation wise men <laughs> uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Matthew Henry it's been a while since I've read Matthew Henry and I'm not sure just what view Matthew Henry takes I'd have to go read him on that particular thing Now, maybe somebody else has read Matthew Henry on that and can tell us uh, okay I'll, I'll check up all right. other questions each one of the seven spirits well it's one Holy Spirit and seven would just be the fullness of the Holy Spirit in his many operations whether it's convicting whether it's uh, encouraging whether it's restraining sin whatever it is the timing of the opening of the seals okay uh, those seals of course are, are have been opened all along uh, and, and as we see when we we'll look next week as he opens the seventh seal you get seven trumpets sound and when he blows one trumpet why a third of the of the agriculture in the earth will burn up and you blow another one uh, trumpet and a third of the ships in the sea will sink and so on that's happening all the time any time a ship sinks at sea uh, that's happening in a sense uh, Uh, So these trumpets are blowing; uh, these seals are being opened all along. It's not uh, one seal right after another seal, in a sense. Now, of course, when he blows the last trumpet, that that is the end uh, when Christ comes back, etc. Yes, sir, ma'am. Okay, the 24 elders representing the church and 144,000, 144,000 would be a symbol: three times four, be 12. The Trinity working throughout the whole. Four corners of the earth throughout all of time uh, 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10 that's just the spirit of God uh, working to call men to himself from the Adam's fall on to the last person who's saved is Christ just prior to Christ coming back and uh, so the 144,000 would be a multitude that no man can number from every tongue and tribe and nation both from Old Testament and New Testament and uh, the 12 would represent those would be the, like you had the 12, 12 apostles, they would represent everybody who's been saved uh, from Christ's first coming to his second coming, whereas the uh, 12 patriarchs would represent everybody saved in the old period of time there. So they just, those men represent the 144,000. Well, there isn't a reference or a derivation per se, but just as you as you realize these numbers are symbolic and uh, you the four, you know, you see where these four living creatures and the four winds from the different parts of the earth begin to realize this is talking about often four would be a symbol of uh, the four corners of the earth and uh, then when you look at the New Jerusalem with its uh, 12 gates and its 12 foundations and the names of the apostles and then the wall being 144,000 this is the New Jerusalem is the bride of the Lamb that's another term for it so here's the whole church and and so you just pick up okay this, this 144 symbolizes all the true people of God there's no verse that will say that but as you look at how these things are, are used then you pick it up